You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Professor Peter Jonathan Starr of the Fatih Sultan Mehmet University in Istanbul, Turkey. Political Periscope How long have you been living in Turkey and uh, how did it happen? Yes, I've been living in Turkey since 2004, first in Ankara, then in Istanbul. And it happened because I married a Turkish woman when I was in England. And uh, at that time, I was working in a university. I had the opportunity of working in a university in Ankara. And uh, my wife of that time, unfortunately, we're no longer together, but my wife of that time... Uh, uh, wanted to live in Turkey. And uh, how was it the first time when you came here? Turkey is very different from Europe or it is or isn't? I would say Turkey is very different from Europe. Um, even if on the outside you see huge supermarkets, some of the supermarkets are the same. Um, uh, many of the products look similar. Just an example, you know, t- Turkish people's print very often shop instead of looking in the main vitrine in in the main windows they would massage and then you get different better there are all kinds of aspects to the turkish way of living which are different um in terms of the politics when i first came about turkey joining the eu um but turkey has become a much more uh, uh islamist country since that time it was the time of the early akp as they say the the ruling party um justice Um, party and at that time uh, the justice party was saying that they would join the EU and that they would bring their laws into conformity with the EU i suppose even in 2004 i didn't believe it would happen and that's taken place i mean uh, the power is very much increasingly centralized This has been the case for years on Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, what he says happens. In those days, it wasn't so clear. The ruling party was claiming to be inviting people from all points of the political spectrum. And there were people joining the party f- from a liberal side. There were people joining from the nationalist side. And uh, there was some attempt it seems to uh, uh, change the law. There was a new, for example, um, environmental law, very much modeled on um, European models, civil law, um, uh, criminal law. They were all being adapted. But this process was abandoned, really. And um, I really don't think that there is much will. And perhaps there was never sufficient will uh, in Turkey to join the EU. And uh, what is the essence of Turkish mentality and uh, how do they react to this? The, the country went from uh, Islamic country to very modern in the times of Atatürk and now it's becoming um, Islamic and is even Islamist again. Um, how do they cope with this? Generally, I see Islamism as part of the modern world, um, uh, a kind of identity politics which is in some ways modern. And uh, these movements which you can find in Turkey, like the Muslim Brotherhood, like Salafism, um, although they don't explain the religious situation in Turkey in its completeness by any means, the Imam Hatip, they say the mainstream of 
Islamism in Turkey is also modernist. They are against the traditional schools of law being taught. They tend to have a very modern and rather politicized version of, of, of Islam. And this is very much a modern rather than tra- return to tradition. This is very much a modern movement. Um, yeah, I would say that. So if I understand well, the Islamism is something modern, a modern tendency in Islam. I would certainly say so. Um, and, um, and this is something I actually studied because I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. My, my father, who's, who's, who's now dead, he was, he was an engineer, civil engineer, working on projects in the Middle East. I learned Arabic. Um, I studied uh, history, history of Islam. And so I'm, I'm well aware that the, the streams of thought which um, uh, really dominate the, the headlines um, are streams which go back to people like Hassan al-Banna in, in Egypt of the mid-20th century. Um, Salafism is maybe goes back actually to Istanbul and the, a group around someone called um, Afghani and his pupil, who was an Egyptian man called um, Mohammed Abdu. Um, these are all people who were trying to reconcile the, the old traditions of Islam with the modern world. So, so I think the Islamism, which you do find in Turkey, characterizing particularly the political circles, is a modern phenomenon. It's not so traditionalist. So how did, so was, how have Islam changed in Turkey uh, during those past uh, five centuries? Well, five centuries is a long time, but um, you could say that uh, Ottoman Islam um, was dominated by what you what you could call the the mystical organizations or Sufi organizations. And um, we know that someone like the conqueror of Istanbul, uh, Muhammad II, or uh, Fatih Sultan Mehmed, as they say in Turkish, uh, he was for a long time, a mem- or an admirer of the so-called Hurufiya version of mystical Islam. And uh, many of the Ottoman sultans were strongly influenced by these what are well-known whirling dervishes, the Mevleviya. The- these are all um, what you could call Sufism. And that was a very important aspect of Islam throughout the centuries, even into the 19th century and the modernizing movements. Um, maybe in the 19th century, you could say that uh, uh, Turks took different routes. Some took secularizing routes. Uh, some took an attempt to bring Islam into uh, harmony with philosophy. So um, people like Ibn Sina, Avicenna were read, and there are more uh, manuscripts of Ibn Sina here in Istanbul in the libraries than, than anywhere else in the world. But also there was an interest in classical Sufi movements and some sort of revival of Ibn Arabi and uh, Jalal al-Din Rumi. And these, these were characterizing uh, um, intellectual life in the center of the empire here in Istanbul. And different sultans took different perspectives. Famously, um, Abdul Hamid, uh, um, uh, Abdul Hamid II, the, the Red Sultan, as he's called. It's not red because... Uh, of his socialism. No, he was an Islamist. He was quite deeply Islamist and promoted at one time pan-Islamism and uh, uh, Salafism. Um, so different sultans had very different views. Someone like uh, the f- fifth Murad was absolutely westernized, you could say, and Abdul Majid to a large extent as well. So, you know, th- there is a whole spectrum and a kind of confusion uh, um, in Islam. Well, like in any civilization, any diverse culture which has survived for hundreds of years, it's understandable. It's also the case in Europe. So many diverse 
opinions. Um, yeah. Let's get back yeah. even further. Okay. Where did the Turks come from and when? Yes, yes. Well, uh, the Turks come from um, uh, Central Asia and uh, um, re languages related to Turkish would be languages like Mongolian. Uh, there are some shared words even with um, Chinese, some loan words from Chinese in coming into Turkish. But then the Turkic, the Turkic tribes who were nomadic tribes Uh, began to move towards the west, and they moved in initially into the uh, the area which is now Iran, and they adopted many Persian ways. They adopted also uh, the Islamic religion, and one of the main tasks that they were engaged in was being soldiers. The the Arab caliphs recognized that the Turks were very good soldiers, and they were very good horsemen. And so the so by the ninth century in Baghdad, the army was Turkish, and uh, there was a great movement of Turks into the Islamic Empire and the adoption of Islam at that time. And uh, uh, subsequent to that, you know, as is well known, in the eleventh century, um, the Turks, the Seljuk Turks, uh, conquered Anatolia, and that was the death knell of the Byzantine Empire, if you like. So by fourteen fifty three, there was the fall of Constantinople to the Turks. And then, how the empire spread. Yes, well, these are matters which um, have a lot to do with Polish history because the empire spread, um, in the case of the Ottomans, um, first into to the European side. And so um, uh, places like Thrace, many areas of the Black Sea came under Ottoman control. The Ottomans spread from a small area of Anatolia at that time, um, say in the in the 14th century when the Ottomans had their origins, there were many small dynasties called Beylikler in Turkey. And the, the most successful militarily was the Ottoman and, and the best placed for expansion was the Ottoman. And they expanded into Europe, much of more, um, you know, northern Greece, what is now more than northern Greece, Bulgaria. These areas uh, became Uh, Ottoman. The Ottomans also then conquered one after the other, the other Islamic dynasties of Anatolia. And um, at, in the beginning of the 16th century, they also marched to Egypt and they added Egypt, a very important addition to the empire. And they began to take North Africa. And um, when I say they came into con conflict with Poland, um, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, um, because they were also um, in the area which is now Ukraine fighting against uh, the the Christian forces, um, sometimes more successfully, sometimes famously unsuccessfully, like at the, the siege of Vienna in 1683. I noted that uh, there are at least two cities uh, that during Ottoman, Ottoman uh, rule had their names still, like uh, Constanza in, in uh, Romania, today's Romania was Kostanja, uh, so it's only Turkey-sized uh, version of this name, and Constantinople was Constantinople. Uh, why didn't they change names? They had this policy, or um, um, in fact, the word Istanbul comes from the Greek. Um, interestingly enough, it comes not from the Greek word Constantinopolis, but it comes from Istinpolin. In other words, uh, into the city, so movement into the poly, the the city, and many even today in Greeks, you can refer to. Constantinople as Ipoli, the city, the biggest and the most important in their history. Um, so, yeah, the word Istanbul is a Greek word, but many names were changed um, uh, or, uh, or Turkified. Now their origins are less clear. Um, at a city like um, Balukesir comes from uh, uh, Peleokastra, the, the old, that's so um, Greek, 
Byzantine name. There are some cities called Bolu, like Inebolu, uh, uh, um, and there is a city called Bolu. And these are all the Greek word uh, poli, again, city. Um, and other places have had their names changed. Um, so there is continuity and there is change. And uh, what time period uh, does the name Istanbul come from? Well, I think that even in the 19th century, uh, there were different names used of this city, reflecting the different layers of history which are evident here. So you could still say Constantinia, and that was still one of the most widely used. It's on the coins of the Ottoman um, sultans, Constantinia. Um, um, there was a movement, however, to amongst the patriotic Turks to reject the name Constantinia and to use Istanbul, um, and even amongst some to change it to Islambol, in other words, full of Islam. So it changed from Is Istanbul to Islambol. And different politicians had different views on this. But really, it wasn't until the Republic period and, uh, you know, Atatürk, Mustafa Kemal, that it was decided that definitively they would use the word Istanbul and all other names would be rejected. Mm, Istanbul is a very diverse place and it always uh, has been uh, this kind of place how was it possible the um, coexistence of uh, of turks of uh, muslims of jews uh, christians uh, even uh, orthodox patriarch uh, patriarchate here in in constantinople and then istanbul Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that um, it's not the case that Islam automatically persecutes and uh, um, eliminates uh, the other communities that were here. Um, however, I don't think we're talking about a, a kind of multicultural ideal at all. What we're talking about is a ruling class, which would be Turkic and Muslims, and they would be the army, and uh, uh, control is very much in their hands, tax is very much in their hands. Um, but um, the economy would be still dominated by uh, Greeks and increasingly Armenians. There were very large communities at some point, at some and in some areas, the majority. Um, say, in the 19th century, I've heard estimates that In Anatolia and Istanbul itself, uh, 40% of the population um, would be non-Muslim. And um, there was a kind of tolerance, but it was a tolerance on certain very specific terms. And I would say that the history of Christianity under Islam is always a history of some attrition, sometimes more, sometimes less, but always the non-Muslims are the second-class citizens. But again, maybe we can't regard this as so shocking or uh, because much the same situation uh, Um, occurred in many areas of Europe when where one particular religion was dominant <clears throat> and it made its dominance felt politically. So, uh, But I would say that uh, there wasn't a kind of peaceful coexistence. Uh, there was always clear hierarchy of who was important and who was in favor with the rulers and who was not. And how is it today? Um, I would say that the size of the Greek community is so small by now that it's almost irrelevant. Nonetheless, the Greek community is made to feel discriminated against, that's sure. The Greeks I know here are, for example, I went with one uh, Greek friend uh, into an area, a rather Islamist area called Fatih Ismail R, um, uh, where 
it's very normal to see people wearing the uh, long flowing robes and the turbans, um, at least the fezes. Um, he was quite frightened to go into that area. He's lived here all his life. He was born in Istanbul, but he didn't want to go into that area. But nonetheless, we went. And um, I would also say that, you know, the, the, the Greek community has, has become very small by now. And it's really only two institutions which keep it alive. One is the Patriarchate and the other one is the, the hospital, which is still quite wealthy. It's called uh, um, uh, Balakla. You said the city, just the city. Uh, it's a city that was uh, very important and never really lost in its importance since uh, almost um, 1500 years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have visited Greece from time to time and I remember um, talking to someone in the street um, and he said to me, in Greece we say, there is only one city. And uh, he means uh, this city of Istanbul or Constantinople. And um, there are these layers of history embodied and uh, the epitome, they are epitomized by, by the church of Hagia Sophia, um, which is absolutely the central building in this city. And uh, so wherever you approach the city from, it's the cent if you're coming from by sea, from the, the Marmara Sea, it's the first building you see, and it's in the in the center. If you're coming along the Golden Horn, the old commercial area, and if you go into that building, it's got so much history, and again, layers of history. Uh, some of the finest, if not the finest, uh, Byzantine art that you will see. Uh, the building itself is so attractive, so full of mysteries, so full of strange uh, historical uh, 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 artifacts, even the graffiti. For example, there is graffiti written in medieval Russian by pilgrims. There is graffiti written even in runes by Vikings. Um, there are pictures of medieval ships, presumably made by Westerners uh, visiting the city. History for so many years. And it was the model for the Christian world. It was the first Christianized civilization. And um, uh, it was the influence going north across the Black Sea into Ukraine, into Russia, uh, that established orthodoxy there. Their model was this city, but also in the West uh, for for many years. You know, there was a there was a Bavarian queen who married and went back. Her name was uh, Bertha, who influenced the culture in Ger what is now Germany or southern Germany, and above all Italy, very much modelled on Byzantine ways and the kind of civilization that this this uh, merging of Christianity and political power uh, that first took place here. Let's talk um, about the Turkish language. S can you say something about? Uh, well, start. Let's start with the basis. What's this language? Yes. Uh, well, it's sometimes called uh, an Ural Altaic language. Or it's regarded as maybe related to the Ural Altaic languages, the Turkic languages. Um, as I say, they're from um, Asia. Uh, the um, I would say the main difficulty in learning Turkish is the gra is the, is the syntax. Um, um, individual words maybe are not so difficult. They have inflections, but Polish inflections are much more complicated. Um, but the word order is completely different. You don't have the Indo-European um, uh, subordination, main clauses, subclauses. Um, everything. Um, there is a system of bringing that extra information generally before the noun, um, so Turkish sentences have a completely different order, and that's what a learner of Turkish needs to concentrate on in order to succeed in this language. Um, I would say that there are many loan words in Turkish, a bit like in English, uh, 
many words from French, many words from Arabic, quite a few words from Persian. Um, so it's really a language which shows its history and uh, its connections both with West and the East. They even say uh, merci. Yes, yes, you do hear that. Not so often, but uh, yes. Uh, I think uh, in Orhan Pamuk's uh, books, there is a lot of uh, mercy, but maybe it was more westernized period. And westernized families, I think. You know, Orhan Pamuk's family was uh, uh, a very well-educated family, good knowledge of different languages. It's not a word that you would hear necessarily on the street, but you hear many words uh, um, to do with machinery, for example, words for different parts of the car, uh, Uh, um, uh, let, let me think. These these things are difficult to bring to mind in a moment. But échappement, um, for example, or I don't know, uh, uh, many words from from French come in. Um, uh, many words to do with science um, are based on French. More recently, on English. So um, information science is very much nowadays including English words. But uh, for for a long time, for the 19th century. Uh, French was dominant. Last question. Why is Turkish written in uh, Latin script, non, in, not in Arabic script? Yes, yes, this is very much um, up to Atatürk, Mustafa Kemal. Um, he had a various so-called so revolutions. One of them is called the Harf Inkilaba, um, and that means the, the letter revolution, where they rejected the use of Arabic letters and the alf Arabic alphabet, and they adopted the Latin alphabet uh, with one or two um, adaptations. And um, yeah, it has a very powerful effect. I, I hear more conservative Turks lamenting this and saying, uh, what a pity that I can't read my grandfather's tombstone, for example, because it's written in Arabic letters. And I can understand that. Um, But it was, it was very much a movement of associating modern Turkey with Europe rather than the Middle East. The reason, the reason let me mention as well, the reason that was given was that um, Arabic alphabet is not so rich in vowel sounds, whereas Turkish has many vowels and these were not uh, reflected in the Arabic alphabet. So it was presented as much more practical to use the Latin alphabet. Well, I... I suppose I would agree with this argument, uh, but uh, does it mean that Turks don't learn Arabic, they don't learn um, Arabic alphabet and Arabic language? I would say that every single revolution of Atatürk has been, as they say in modern English, pushed back against Uh, you know, there's been a resistance, even a reversal of those um, revolutions. And a few years ago, maybe it was five or six years ago, the government uh, um, sponsored the teaching of Ottoman in every school, uh, not just the religious schools. And uh, so if students are learning Ottoman, they're also learning the old alphabet. So all these things are changing. And I would say every single one of those revolutions that I mentioned of Kemal Atatürk are changing and being eroded, if you like. By Ottoman, you mean? By, by Ottoman, the, 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 the way Turkish was spoken 100 years ago and, uh, say, 150 years ago. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 